first day of summer, Jen. Oh, my goodness. I woke up at 3.30, everybody. So it's not great. One, a weird thing when you have insomnia is that even though you are exhausted, sometimes you sleep worse or like, like a big feeling. Sure. Like normal people are like, I'm exhausted. I will sleep in tomorrow. And I was like, I'm exhausted. I'll be up all night. Stupid. I don't like it. I do like it, though, because you know what? It doesn't matter. It's summer and eventually I will figure it out. Yeah, you'll just collect sleep. Yeah, it'll be amazing. I'm so jealous. I like summer. I like the idea of having. We should all listen. <laughs> Grownups should get summer vacation too. Like, okay, yes. so we don't get three months. That's fair. But like, yeah, in Europe, it's sort of a general rule that you can sort of wander off in August for as long as you like. That seems very civilized. I mean, Europeans also have at least a year's worth of maternity leave, so. Every, listen, America is kind of a garbage country. God bless everybody. But, but Donald Trump has been indicted again. He sure with has. With an absolutely bonkers indictment. Did you see that indictment? Yeah. Did you see that that man was storing classified documents in his toilet? Yes. You Not know. his toilet specifically. His water closet, as the oldies say. So that was a thing that happened. I feel very strongly that I cannot process that at this time. No. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) I just think it's bananas because if you had top secret documents in your house. Yeah. No. Would you keep them in the bathroom? Where? Where? Here's a good question. Where would you keep the top secret documents in your house? I would individually fold them each up and put them on inside my romance novels of like the my favorite scenes. (laughs) Right? And I'd be like, oh, here's that scene in Lord of Scoundrels where she shoots him and the nuclear secrets. <laughs> Obviously, that's the only answer. Well, I don't think Donald Trump reads. So that, Except those. that was off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Um, yeah, I definitely – let's put it this way. There are a lot of things I can't find in this house. So I would put it with definitely whatever, wherever those things are. <laughs> Where the other socks go from the dryer, right? That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Like at the back of a closet somewhere. But not in the not in the guest bath. No. No. That feels wrong. Anyway, so that's where we are, everyone. Just consistently boggled. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone, where document management is an important part of our thinking process. Well, listen, we have you and we have Eric and the two of you together make spreadsheets and forms and show notes. I just roll in at the end and pretend to be delightful. (laughs) It all works out. We're the talent, Sarah. We're the talent. (laughs) Should we introduce ourselves? But we're doing... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And, you know, sometimes I do organized business for the podcast. Sure. You do actually have some very important organized. It all works out every day. I feel like we have a good... It's a balance. It's a good balance. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. I'm going back to that this week because this week I'm going to definitely have my editing hat on for the conversations we are about to have. All right. That sounds good because this week we're talking about world building. Which is a very funny word because I think many people misdefine it. Mm. So I feel like we should start there. Yeah. Well, I think I think that I would say the misunderstanding about world building is this idea. I think that um, this is something that only happens in like fantasy and sci-fi. Like Correct. you, the author. 
have decided to put in dragons and now you have to decide right. or magic right like the rules you have to tell me how of something works. from your head right yeah and i think that there is look i don't i don't write that stuff so but i do think that there is in sci-fi and fantasy there are moments where that kind of work is extremely important right in paranormal for example like if you have vampires there is so much vampire lore in the world that i need to understand how your vampires work in order for you to explain that to me in a way that is compelling as a reader you can't just say pause footnote here's how vampires work in my book you have to show me right how vampires work in your books um and so you end up writing, say, True Blood, where vampires exist and everyone knows. And it's a genius structure because we are introduced to them via a product that is literally sold to them on television. It's very hard to talk about world building sometimes without talking about, like, examples. <laughs> and yet sometimes we notice world building only when it's wrong so when it's bad so i think what we're going to try and do is give generic examples without like kind of naming names we aren't here to shame books or say they're bad um and then what i actually have thought a lot about doing is giving examples maybe from books that aren't romance so maybe it will feel a little more neutral or from like tv shows or whatever right because i do think that there's a one of the things about this kind of talk is um, sometimes it's illuminating for people who don't really know how it works or don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And they have this moment where they're like, oh, that's why this doesn't work for me. Or that's mm-hmm. why I had I struggled with that book. But we want to do it in a way that feels like really respectful of obviously the very hard work that authors do. So, you know, we're like going to talk about world building without really talking about like this book sucked (laughs) you know what i mean that's not really what we're here for yeah but that's why i think we should start we it's important that we start with a definition right because it feels like yeah you're absolutely right the the miss the miscommunication around world building is you know as you stated that it feels like it's only the realm of fantasy and and sci-fi but world building also i think structurally the word itself um lends itself to sort of placeholding setting a lot. Yes. In conversations. And that's not what it is either. Right. I think you're right. Exactly. I was thinking about how world building uh, is reflected in setting and in character and in plot and how it works well, how we can see it done well through those lenses, which I think is a might be a a valuable and more, you know, positive way of looking at how it works. Right. Let me say one other thing, which is, um, so we've talked about like what world building isn't, but I think one of the things that I say a lot on Twitter is like world building matters in contemporary too. Just because your book is set in contemporary times or in historical times that were like real, right? Mm doesn't mean that world building become it comes it becomes easier than I now have to decide who's feeding the dragon I created but there's so much there's so many ways in which world building becomes a part of every author's like journey with books and the the work they're writing and so you know even if you're like I don't like 
paranormal or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like world building is a part of contemporary too. And I do have some examples and ways we can talk about that. So, okay. So I want to start, I think the smartest place for us to start is kind of broad level. Oh yeah. What else we're going to talk about? Romance reasons. Romance reasons is at the end of the episode. Yeah. But like (laughs) romance reasons is also about world building everybody. So yeah, that's on my list. When I think about world building in general in any book, right, I think I was trying to sort of parse out, obviously, it's the whole, it's every layer, right? It's setting, it's plot, it's character um, all at once. You can't talk about one without the others. But for me, I feel like the hallmark of great world building is a sense that if I fell asleep tonight and woke up tomorrow in this book, I would know where I was. Yes. I would know how the story works. And I would know that there was more to the book than what I had read. Yes. Yes, I agree. Does that all make sense? Is that all like... Yes. I think I... And I don't know how like we're going to like really talk about this because I feel like... I, I think one of the things I was actually thinking about is... One of the most important parts about world building are, like, beginnings. Mm, Yeah, the setup. The setup. And I think one of the things that I see – there was, like, a really interesting Twitter thread this week by a copy editor named Angus Johnson. And he was talking about, like, how AI cannot do the work of a copy editor. (laughs) And he said because – it was really interesting, right? He talked about the authorial unfamiliarity with the world of the book. And you're kind of like, well, how could I be unfamiliar with the world of the book if I made it? And one of the things I was thinking a lot about is a lot of romance really starts with like what we call like a meet cute, right? Like I've got a great, you know, I can picture an author out there who can, who has like a, a plot bunny, right? Or a character's meeting somewhere like it, like just boom, it appears in their head. And the thing that I was saying, I was thinking in my head was like, okay, so like, what if it's like he's saving her from quicksand, <laughs> right? Like something mm-hmm. that would not be in a romance; it would be in like a cartoon. The thing that you can't just start there because I need to know why she was in quicksand, and I think that's the part about world building that often, like, authors sort of start in a place, but there has to be a before. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, do I agree with that? Because I feel like you could start with, like, she was going to die. Yes. I mean, eventually. I'm not saying, like, at you that mean, moment. Like, yeah. Right. You but can like, definitely start. I want to be clear to everybody out there. Like, in fact, you probably should start at she was going to die. Yeah, absolutely. And then back into she's in quicksand. And then you could sort of hear it. It's sort of a, you know... If she ever got out of this, she was going to murder so-and-so for suggesting that she go hiking in this quicksand place. Done. (laughs) Right? So it's like the idea that quicksand exists doesn't need to be explained to me. But why did this character come in contact with the quicksand is the part that I think becomes then world building. Right? Yeah. So I'm never going to come in contact with quicksand. I don't like hiking. Right? You know what I mean? Like there's ways in which – then you kind of have to, like, start from that premise. Well, okay, how did these characters get there? And I think the thing about world building that I feel is really important is you either have to be – you have to be curious about your own 
setup. Sure. The, te- the setup has to tell a story and leave the reader asking a question. That's right. Which honestly is something that my editor, Carrie Farron, said says to me all the time about titles and first scenes. Like, I have to feel like I've seen, read a story or in the ti- in a, the title's case, it has to tell a story and leave you asking a question. But first scenes also have to tell a story and leave you curious. But worlds have to do that too, right? Like the universe of the book has to feel that way. It has to feel like a universe that you want to spend time in. And that's why it's important in contemporary too, because obviously, you know, you think about, um, I don't know, uh, the world of immortals after dark, which is a world that Jen and I know intimately, right? There are so many things about the 18 book arc world of immortals after dark that are not in the first three books of that series. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's not about the rules of the magic of the world or the fact that like vows or vows to the lore are unbreakable. Those they don't exist in the first what six books yeah. of the series. We like, were on watch for that, right? But they but so it doesn't like the magic of the series doesn't matter. The world of the series starts from the beginning because it feels like here here are the rules of this world. That said, Immortals After Dark is probably like the lightest touch paranormal series I can think of. One of the things that's really interesting to me is like at some point I had somebody tell me the difference between paranormal, paranormal romance and then like fantasy is that like paranormal essentially like co-ops the world that basically exists. That's what I think that's like Zoraida yes, Cordova right? said that. Like, paranormal is really urban fantasy. It's not fantasy fantasy. Like, paranormal, because, you yeah. know, the romance has to do so much work that if I have to spend a lot of time Unless on the exposition of this world. You're Millivane. Well, I think there's a reason why fantasy books are longer, right? Millivane. I mean, and look, we are on the record for believing that A Heart of Blood and Ashes is one of the best romances written, yeah. right? Um, and it's high fantasy, I don't know if we would we call it high fantasy. I know, but we skip Jen, you and I skip the first two chapters, but that's not that's because of us. That's right. not because the world building is bad. No, that's because right. it's because we just don't care we're about romance the readers, right? Exactly. So that's not <laughs> I want to I want to set that down. <laughs> but I actually think that's a great example because what we're saying is like what you bring to the table as a reader is like, well, what do I care about or not? And this is yeah. why world building matters because if you are poking at it and you can see the holes in it mm-hmm. i think ultimately the problem is then you start to not trust the author and therefore you don't trust the characters or the story yeah right like this is ultimately why world building matters right is you at some point start to ask questions and you need answers so here i thought i'd give some actually examples from jack reacher everybody knows right okay so Jack Reacher is this – he retired from the army and now he just drifts through America. He doesn't like to carry suitcase and the way that Lee Child has fixed this is that he doesn't do laundry. He just buys new clothes every couple of days, right? This is like a world-building issue. Like he just doesn't want Reacher to be carrying a bunch of shit around. Fine. But here's like another example. I was – put this on – somebody once on Twitter was like, how does he make money? At some point you're going to run out of money, dude, <laughs> Right. And occasionally he has like some odd jobs. He works for cash, like, you know, te- you know, being a bouncer or whatever. But at one point in like I think book number 10, 
he and some old army buddies like kind of do a job where there is a huge score at the end and they all split up the money. And I I completely was like, this exists so that all of the people who read this book and are like, what is the status of this man's bank account? <laughs> and like essentially reset him into being like, okay, well, now he has money for 10 more, you know, I think that here's another example because I thought of three really specific things. At the beginning, it was kind of like one adventure a year. But if that was the case, Jack Reacher would now be 75. You know what I mean? Like, he right. he is aging to the point where you're like, this man cannot actually beat the shit out of everybody the same way anymore. He is too old for that. And so there is a run of books, of four books, where one takes place in the past and three take place consecutively. So the whole three, four books essentially only cover maybe five weeks of time. Mm-hmm. And so you see Lee Child being like, okay, I'm kind of getting myself into a jam. So now I just need to have years of writing go by, but only weeks of Jack Reacher's life. Mm-hmm. Right? And I th- and and then the one other one is it, he doesn't have an ID because he doesn't drive. And for a long time, all he had was an expired passport. And you're like, it's Jack Reacher, the type of guy who's going to go into the passport office. <laughs> Does, you know what I mean? No. Fill out a form. No. Go to the post office, get his picture taken, unflattering pictures. None of those things are <laughs> none of those things, right? And so in this one I just finished listening to, I'd read it before, the army needs him to do something in conjunction with like the State Department and they they give him his they update his passport yeah, form. Yeah, that's perfect. Right? Listen, done. Exactly. Reacher reasons. Reacher reasons. It only works because Lee Child has built an exceptional character. Yes. He's done such strong character work that the world building follows this like so so Reacher is like very stern and very bare bones, right? Like he does we know Reacher like has a toothbrush in his pocket or whatever, That's it. right? Yeah. And once we know that about Reacher, we allow the rest of the world building to be similarly bare bones. Like if Reacher's, if the Jack Reacher world was complex and like had complicated descriptions and we knew what the wallpaper looked like in, and every what the cups were in everybody's hands, like if we knew all that, it wouldn't match. We'd be like, this isn't correct right but the world of reacher has to be bare bones and solved in easy steps right yes. it has to be the army gave him a new passport the score in this book filled his bank account don't worry about it don't worry reasons. about it right like you're worried about it i can tell i'm gonna fix it but i'm gonna fix it in a way that is reach like in like exactly driven by the character I mean, and it feels also like this is this is where edit- you said you wanted to talk about it as an editor, right? And as a writer, what I will say is every one of those moments is the result probably of Lee Child's editor or someone else, his wife or his brother, in the margins going like, where's – how does he have any money? Like, where's his money? Or like, why – where – he's his underpants are dirty. Like <laughs> – what do we do? Yeah. And and then like you and then the part is is like you believe it because the character is so good. But like I made a joke on Twitter. I was like, I was like, here is a man who can pick up any gun that has ever been made and instantaneously know how to fire it. 
But like the very idea of working a washer and dryer is too much. <laughs> but you have no choice but to buy it because it is he so firmly commits to this idea that like logically Reacher has decided that like this makes more sense for him. So it does. Right. We are in Reacher's world. You are in Reacher's world. If you wake up in this world, you're probably going to be in danger at some point. But don't worry, Reacher's going to come and get you. Right? And like, these are bedrock rules of what happens when you wake up there. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Avery Flynn, author of Anger Bang. Which is... Great title. A gen title. (laughs) For sure. So let me tell you all about it. Um, Thea Pope is a shy paleontologist who has been dragged into the worst situation she can imagine. Her sister is getting married um, in like a reality TV show setting. And the whole thing is like 80s themed. Everything is super over the top. Her sister has become like really enabled to be like super bridezilla-y, which is not the kind of, you know, dinosaur she wants to deal with, to be honest. And so she really, you know, is just kind of trying to hang in there and bear it until she finds out that her sister didn't even want Thea at the wedding at all. So her feelings are hurt. She decides it's time for a little revenge. She's going to make her sister as miserable as she's been made. And how better to do that than picking out the one man at the wedding her sister cannot stand, the groom's brother, Cade St. James, Perfect. and having a great time with him. She's going to rub her sister's face in the fact that she's having the time of her life with this man that her sister cannot stand. So, um, you know, it's a reality TV show setting. What could possibly go wrong my guess is pretty much everything you can find anger bang in print ebook and audiobook or in kindle unlimited with a monthly subscription you can also find out more about all of avery's books at averyflynn.com thanks to avery flynn for sponsoring this week's episode well while we're doing this let's talk about character work then and how it how it plays out right When we talk about characters, one of the things that I have said many times about my own books and about like the books that I love the most is this idea that if there's a character in a room with your main character, your protagonist, and they walk out of a door, the feeling for the reader should be, if I follow that character out the door, I'm into a different book that's just as rich, right? Like whatever's in that room, whatever's happening there is just as interesting as what's happening here. Yes. And I think that that rule is pure world building. I think that is a full on world building rule. And it is about, and this is again why it matters in contemporary, because it is about establishing a broad community of characters for your protagonist, right? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I want to talk about billionaires, is where I'm getting, where I'm going. Okay. Because one of the jokes that we always tell, and this is going to get into romance reasons, right, is there are so many billionaires. Throw a stone, hit a billionaire in romance, right? What do they do? No one cares, right? Right. So you would think that that would be a world-building problem, but in actual fact, it's not. Because again, similar to Reacher, right, most of these characters, if they're not workplace romances, right? Like, which is a different thing. Yes. I'm setting that aside. I'm I'm talking about, like, classic billionaires, 50, 50 Shades of Grey style billionaire, right? 
I think that when we are talking about these kinds of characters, we are building a world for them where they are in relationship to the hero. In I'm talking about obviously like her hero billionaires, right? Like these these dude billionaires. In a relationship to the heroine, they are just a piece of the world. Right. Right? In a lot of ways. So it also like come it's a it's a little bit of a POV conversation related to world building. Mm-hmm. But like if it's in first person and the hero is a billionaire and we are in her point of view, the character work that's going on here is about the heroine's world, not the hero's world. Yes. Agreed. Right? Right. And it works in very particular instances. And I want to talk about Nikki Sloan. I'm like, you're getting there. Okay. All right. So Nikki Sloan wrote a very sort of, uh, probably her most popular series or her best known series is the filthy rich American series, which is four books long. And in the first, and it is about filthy rich Americans. And in the first book, um, I'm going to spoil some things over, you know, this series is old. So, and in the first, the first three books are about um, a young woman and the man that she is in love with, who she wants to marry. And through the over the course of the first three books, his father, who is like a silver fox, kind of like evil mastermind, is kind of in the mix constantly, right? He clearly has an intense obsession with her. And there, there's a constant sense, a sort of foreboding sense as a reader that like it might he might actually win her, right? Like it's not a love triangle, but it Nikki walks us right up to the line of like, is this gonna happen? Like there's a scene at some point where like he masturbates, like and yeah. she like he he asks her if she wants to watch and she does. Like it's very hot. This is an erotic romance. Um, but the reason why I want to talk about it is because it's set in like the on like the Cape in old money, Massachusetts. And so there is this kind of sense of, all right, we're on the ocean. There are these big mansions. Everybody's like airlifted everywhere. The parties are lavish. Everybody's wearing silk and like <laughs> right. nobody's wrinkled at all. Like it's really a particular kind of setting that she has established. But these people have so much money that it doesn't matter. What she's saying to you is, romance reasons it doesn't matter doesn't matter right. how they made it right all that matters is that it's money and power are what makes this particular world go round and all of our worlds but this particular world and it will fuck you up and it is a going you are going to watch it watch it fuck all these people up and in the first book there is a scene where the her future husband her fiance ascends to the family the board of trustees for her family his family business his mm-hmm. father's the chairman of the board and the initiation for the family business is that his wife meaning his her, future wife right. meaning her is uh basically everybody on the board gets to fuck her yeah they have a board meeting and everybody gets to fuck her and you're like oh, what Whoa. And then yeah. at the same time, you're like, yes, this all is plausible and checks out. <laughs> well, because, I mean. And it's because what yeah. Nikki has done is built you a world where all of the billionaires, all of the money, all of the power is held by this, like, rarefied group of people. 
And they have so much of it that they can do anything. And there's a reason why she sets that on page in the beginning of book one. So that like for the next four books, we're like, shit, anything could happen here. And we let ourselves go into this. It's such tremendous world building. Yeah. That she does also, like, I want to just name check her. She has that like series set in like the Nashville suburbs yeah, too. Yeah. It's something like a gated community or like a HOA. Yeah. And it shouldn't feel so like clear. The world shouldn't be so obvious because it's just like all these people fucking in their houses. But like the neighbor, the fact that there are neighbors, the way the neighborhood works, like it's all there on page. Well, okay, so I have like a lot of things to say. Yeah, I'm sorry. About I this. just know for a long time. No, 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 it's so. great. I mean, I really want people like, to hear I that, right? Thread the I want to show the bouncing ball of my thoughts. Everything exists somewhere in romance, but I also think like when we're talking about like 95% of romance or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Very few romances are set in the suburbs except yes. for that series. And there's a way, right? So it's like either small town or big city. That's it. Especially in America, because right? Because suburbs are so tight. They're so well, protected. Here's the other thing. Suburbs are for people that are, you know, already established or young people, right? You're like, I'm at my parents' house. And I think that that is why that series is all age gap. Because, mm-hmm. right? Like, does that make sense? Like, where are you going to get, like, single divorced you're gonna, dads? You're not going to meet a person down at the, like... <laughs> right. And so... I don't The bank. Right. Jack so, Reacher's not going to the bank. No. Jack Reacher you was not. You can't meet him. No. Right? And so I, I actually was kind of... That makes like, really good sense. There's yeah. a reason why, if you're going to have all these age gap romances, where are you going to get the MILF mom mm-hmm. and the pool boy Right? Not in the Gold Coast of Chicago. You're not, I mean, right? Nikki, we've said this before, like, Nikki is really at the top of the game. Because the other piece of it is that suburbs are about, they for all the way that they approximate community, they are so private, right? Like, you know, you don't know anything about what's happening in the house next door. And so there's a reason why all these books are taboo, too. Because they're secrets. If you want to have people running to each other on the street... It's not going to be in the suburb where everybody like drives do up super kinky shit in your in your row house in Brooklyn. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can, but I mean, you like, can if you're right. quiet. But <laughs> right. let me tell you something: I can hear my neighbors doing everything. So, so the other thing that okay, so I think there's a like a reason that series mm-hmm. has to be in the suburbs, but so few other ones are. In books like this, right? So in the hands you want you you know as we were talking about, we're not going to name names or like. You know, I don't want to dwell on how it's done poorly, but I do think sometimes it's valuable to, like you said, see it, you know, as an example. Sometimes in these erotic books that are set, like, the structure feels really right, right? And then by the third, it's usually in the third act. Yeah. Where I think it's just like, there's, I I know this as as a writer, right? Like, sometimes it feels like the air is just like, you can't quite keep the helium in the balloon. Mm Mm-hmm. There's like, suddenly they go to a coffee shop with a new friend. Yes. And you're like, what's happening? (laughs) Where are we? What happened to the rich billionaire or the like kinky sex house or the, you know, whatever the thing is? Like sometimes suddenly there's like a new scene with a new person and it feels like, 
who's this person and why are we here? That is a thing that, like, great editors flag. Right, right. So I think I want to go back to talking about billionaires for a second because Mm. I think there's a a lot of ways in which, like, billionaires are, like, the perfect way to talk about, like, generically about other things that happen in romance worlds. So number one is – we, it really, I think, showcases, like, the sexism of romance in some ways, right? Like, that I can think of one billionaire that's a woman in romance, Alicia Rise, uh, a gentleman on the street, right? Angelina Lopez wrote oh, one, too. Angelina Lopez, right? This is just, like, uncommon. And that's because, like, I really believe, like, a billionaire, I think you and I both believe this, is just a proxy for, like, security, Right. It's not actually a proxy for being a real billionaire. Right. Protection. Yeah. Like not having to worry about money ever. Like I just get to take that off the table. Patriarchy. All the peas. I was thinking a lot about it because I was reading this mafia romance and I was skimming a lot of like mafia shit. And I was like, you don't really get this in billionaire romance. Why not? And I was like, oh, well, you know why? Because every single person in America, like just talking about us. In, and then the rest of the world, too. We are intimately familiar with what it feels like to be ground under the wheels of capitalism. Mm. I don't need you to put that actually on page. I am familiar. Thank you. And so the ways in which, like, I don't know if that makes sense, right? No, like, it does. But if you're going to put on, like, these mafiosos or this motorcycle gang or tattoo artists or any other, like, man's job – there's some sort of information you're going to give me because I might not be familiar with that world. But, like, do I really – like, all fucking day long I have to think about money, <laughs> and right? And, like, watch the way in which people process everything through the lens of money, right? Like, so – Well, um, it's also the highest fantasy, right, in the sense that – And I'm not talking about the money piece. I'm talking about, like, it is the highest fantasy to assume that anybody who is a billionaire at this level, who is a, like, literal billionaire, doesn't work all the time. Like, has time to, like, buy you flowers and take you to the whatever, the sea. Well, the truth is, literal billionaires don't have to work. They don't. They. Yeah, but they do. Like, Elon Musk is not, like, having dinner with friends. He's just, like, sitting – he's, like, compulsive about his computer. Yeah, about his money, right? Yeah. No, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is, like, in the world of the book, if you say anything about this person's job, you're yeah. opening this idea of, like – Right, now I have to – yeah. The only billionaire I've ever seen actually work is Cressley's billionaire, the player, except he also has time to run the longest con – anybody's ever run in a romance novel right yeah because romance reasons so should we talk about what romance reasons means are we there yeah i mean i I think think, yeah well i think people get it like i mean i think for me it's like a shorthand for like certain things exist right like quicksand exists is romance reasons why is she in there that's like something i need that's like world building right does he what does he do Romance reasons. Who cares? Right. Who cares? Like the important Unless part of it's that. part of the plot, right? right? Right. And that's the thing that's like, but what it's are the things you can skip, right? Yeah. Leave out the boring shit. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's funny because I have spent a lot of time thinking about like, why do I love jobs but hate fossils? Mm-hmm. Right? Fossils is not about fossils. fossils yeah, but you is- also don't like working. Like you're not like. Yeah. You're not in the book to watch them do the job. No. I am in the book 
to I'm in the book and interested in the way they think about themselves in the job or the way it influences the way they operate in the world, right? But I'm not necessarily there to like understand it any kind of way what it's like for you to like run your cupcake shop. I don't care. It seems awful. It seems like it smells like butter all the time. <laughs> like you'd smell like butter all the time. You would. All right. I, I mean, mean, I guess. Is that what you'd smell like? Well, I worked at a cookie shop in college and I smelled like cookies all the time. And you'd think that was good, but it's not really. No. That's the problem, right? Is that right. it sometimes feels like when we say like the world building is so good in the same breath, we're like, I don't know, because romance reasons, right? Right. And and it it's because it's not about what it's not about one particular thing. Like the world building can be strong because of like and I don't know, I haven't really thought this through, but if you think about it as its character, its plot, its setting, and all three things combined make a world and all three things combined make good world building, I think sometimes you can say like the characters carrying the in romance, the characters always heavy lifting the world. Yeah. Right. And the setting, you know, so the setting can take a back think Charlotte Stein, right? Mm-hmm. Charlotte's books carry such are the characters carry such of the heavy lift on the world that she can say they're in a library. Right. And you're like, okay. They're in this, the professor's office. And you think like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I'm going to fill in all the color on that. And she's going to tell us what oh. the character, where the characters are in their heads, what's happening, who, like, I, the, that scene in Never Sweeter in the library, I mean, I haven't read Never Sweeter in, like, I can since, recall it vividly. Right? Yeah. And there's a moment in that scene where they hear somebody drop a book, mm-hmm. like, at a distance. And it's, like, it's just perfect. Yeah. Because they're banging. <laughs> right. He's going down on her, on, on the table in the library, and, like, there's a, there's a book in the distance, and it's the quiet reminder. It's like, we're in a library. Yeah. And oh, it's so strong because the characters in the mo- – and he's such a dirty talker, and it's all, like, happening, and you're like, oh, this is so intense, and this book is so – I mean, you're in a phone booth with these two. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Victoria Lum, author of The Coldest Passion. <sighs> Jen, uh, I'm like literally buying this right now. Um, Parker, the hero of this book, is a widower, which we all know I'm just a sucker for. And uh, he lost everything when his wife died. He is furious with the world, but also with himself because he feels like he should have been better, stronger, better. Something. Taking more care. All he has left is his work and his daughter, And his daughter needs a nanny for the summer. And so who better to take care of this child than someone he's known forever, his best friend's little sister, Liz, who is full of light and joy and everything that is not Parker. And he's terrified to touch her because he's just going to mess her up because he is broken in all ways. He better mess her up. Listen, he's going to mess her up. It's going to be fine. (laughs) And that's us up as readers is what I want. If you are looking for a dirty talking, a tortured hero with a tragic past, a sickle dad and a nanny, a cute little kid doing uh, 
all the things with these two and their forbidden love and secrets, then you need to check out The Coldest Passion. It is available in print um, with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited and also in paperback at the Barnes & Noble website. So lots of places to get this one. And thank you, as always, to Victoria Lum for sponsoring this week's episode. Can I give another example of something that I think will help people like maybe think or understand? Like remember when COVID started? I don't remember that. What's COVID? Exactly. And then immediately, because romance is very responsive, right? There were people who were like, I'm going to write books with COVID. And then that caused a huge uproar, right? Where people were like, no, it's too soon. And now what I'm seeing are people who are like, oh, so are we just not ever going to put this in books? Right? Right. Do we put a mask on page? Do we not put a mask on page? Right. And I think here's like an interesting – let me like – Without, like, naming names, here's, like, an interesting story. I worked on a book where I had worked on – in the first book, there was no COVID. And in the second book, there was in the draft I was reading. And I was like, I don't think you can do this. Was the time frame – So one was the time frame. I was like, so that means that this book must have taken place at this time. And that means these characters who were this old are now this old. Right. Right. And so I was you like, need to figure out a way to elide three years. Right. And then I was like, okay, so then you have this other problem, which is their jobs could be maybe related or impacted by COVID. So what are you going to do about that? Right. Like, so it all of a sudden creates like this cascading effect of having to figure out, like, okay, so what happened between then and now? With- well, it's because right? setting takes over. Yes. Setting takes over the world building in that scenario. And that is a problem for a romance novel. Yes. Right? If character's not carrying the world building, then you're not probably in a romance. And so it was really this thing where I was kind of like in my letter, I was like, I don't think you can do this. I mean, I it's so hard, right? Because I totally understand the instinct to say like, we live in this world now where everybody has a mask in their pocket and I want to be – I want to be sensitive to that. I want, and I want to put down on page that it's important for us to res- be respectful of, like, you know, people who are still masking and who do need to mask. But it's like it strips away a layer. It, it's too much world building. It's too real. Yeah, and I think the people who have successfully done it, it's just like mentioned. Yeah, and then we, as the readers, get to fill in all the things that that would mean, or. Or, counterpoint, the book is about COVID. Yeah. Right? There's a Eva Moore book um, where they meet. Yes. They, the meet cute is out, is right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then they quarantine together. And yeah. they fall in love, right? During quarantine. So, yes. It's, that's the story. Right. Exactly. Right? And so, and that's fine. So I just think like this is right. Like these are the things that then we as readers are sort of grappling with. It's like which well, which right. way is COVID it as plot versus COVID as setting? Yes, right. And of course, then you have like the mindset of like the reader, right? And I think this is another thing that. So I want to talk about internal consistency, and this is like a little harder to do, I think, without giving examples. But I think I'm just going to give like generic examples. Um, one of the things that and this is i think the hardest thing about world building is character if you have developed a character who lives and reacts and is a certain way 
Mm. Right? And then you as an author have also decided that you need this character to do XYZ thing. Right? And sometimes that's on a collision course. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. So, you know, you as an author are like, okay, I have this really cute idea that like, you know, in a, like a, it's a new adult romance and she lives at home with her parents and so she's going to like sneak out. Right? And he's going to find her and that's going to be cute. But if you've also established that like her parents are never home or her parents go to bed early or her parents don't pay attention or whatever – then she doesn't need to sneak out of the house. Well, that's that's that copy editing thing that you're that that person said. It's what did he call it? Authorial is the author responsive to the rules of their own world? Yeah, authorial understanding of their own world. And I think that that's the kind of thing that a lot of people sometimes like pick up on, like that feeling of like the trustworthiness, right? Like, but if you've told me X Y Z thing, sure, we're in this house that we've stumbled upon in the wilderness. And the pantry, and nobody's been in it for 30 years, but the pantry's full. How? Like what? It raises more questions than answers. Right. I struggle. Here's where I'm struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling because I feel like sometimes it doesn't matter. Well, that's the trick is when? When does it not matter? And I don't know if I understand the answer enough to articulate it. I'm going to take a shot at it. Hmm. Okay, I think it doesn't matter when it's purely characters reacting in emotional ways because that's how people are, Mm -hmm. right? I think it does matter when it is plot or setting. Yes. Yeah, because that's what I keep – I'm thinking about that house in the woods, right? Like when do I care and when do I not care? Yeah, like, oh – And I think I care. They have to snuggle. Yeah, I think I care if the house is a threat, is potentially a threat, right? Like, I care if it's like, we're, you know, we're in a horror movie, right? Or not a horror movie, but if we're like in a situation where we're on the run, say. Yeah. And then we get ourselves into this house. And the question is like, are we safe here? Right? Can we bone safely? It's always my <laughs> Where life. are we going to danger bang? Right. Exactly. Um, how dangerous is this bang about to be? And so it's like, if they're just like, they take the power being on. Yeah. It's like a without cute question. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, wait a second, because this means somebody might come back or like somebody's been in, in this house or, you know, whatever. But then if they're like, oh, we, our car broke down and we've like, try, w- listen, we're. It's the, you know, groundskeeper's cottage that no one's been on for, been in for 20 years, but like there's no dust anywhere. Sure. Right? Like, who cares? Nobody cares about about that. that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I think that's it. It's like, well, what are, and I also think that there are things, I mean, this goes to like a huge, like kind of a funny world building thing people say all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like none of these dukes and historicals would have six packs, would have clean teeth, would have. Prove it. Did any of you meet any of these dukes? We don't. <laughs> There's only four of them, so it's fine. Yeah, There's there also four of them. not they were the 1800 of them. Where's right? your time machine? <laughs> and ultimately, like, you know, no one really cares about that. I think in a contemporary, part of the reason I say that, like, world building is really important is because once you, like, puncture that veil of, like, what do we call it when you're at the theater? Like, the, the fourth wall? No. I don't know. Like, the. 
Are the, you talking about just reality? In yeah, general? I'm talking about what do we say? Like the the plausibility or so? I don't. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like there's like a thing we say all the time about like whatever. Anyone anyway, can't think of it. Um, but like once you puncture that, once you get me to start wondering, well, why is she climbing out of the window if she can walk out the front door? Yeah. Okay, like here's a funny thing someone said on Twitter today. They're like, I just realized that there are people who come order sheets from Amazon and put them on the bed without washing them. <laughs> what? So if you show me somebody doing that on page, I'm going to be like, excuse me, right? There are some things that I just am not going to believe. And once you have me questioning that, like here's another really famous example. There was a uh, book set in the East Coast. The main character had just moved to Connecticut and was commuting into New York City by car every day. And I was like, no, she's not. She's taking the train. And then weather, bad weather came and she got chains for her tires. And I was like, no, she didn't. No, she didn't. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not how it works. Right? That's how it works if you're going over the Sierra Nevada mountains in Lake Tahoe. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so one of those so – some of that is just, like, basic. Yeah, it's so complex. I mean, of course it is. You're building a universe, right? Right. And I want to talk about that, too. I want to talk about what – you know, what the universe books. The, yeah. I mean, the my books, right? The yeah. sort of – the sense of, like, all these characters live in the same world, operate in the same world. Yes. And – there are things that once you lay them down, that's the rule, right? Yeah. It's Immortals After Dark. Like, right. A Vow to the Lore by book six was bedrock. Mm-hmm. If you made one, you were never getting out of it unless you've... So, like, then it was a question of, like, okay, well, where do we go from here? And now there's the fucking ring, right? Dorada's ring could maybe get you out of a vow to the lore. I don't even know if it's used for that purpose, but you know, there, there are these once and I, and that's tricky. I can totally, I mean, I can say it right. Like when you're writing a romance series, for example, and you put a character on page in book one, that character cannot be a different character in book four. Right. Yeah. We, we notice right. when that happens. Right. Right. And you get yourself backed into corners. And so, but the world, part of how you know you're doing it right is that you have backed yourself into the corner on the fourth, fifth, sixth book. Because you're like, oh, no, the rules are bedrock. I've established that, you know, I don't know what, this character knows about explosives. So she can't have questions about them. Right. You know, in her book. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, or whatever. That's a bad example. But so I think that there is – I think what's fascinating is when you – when authors are given or take the time to really build – to structure a world, character, you know, plot, setting over multiple books, they become like old friends, right? Yes. yes. And so – and I mean – We've talked before about how, like, I'm a set piece author. Like, in every one of my books, there is a thing or there is a – something happens inside a place. And that is the thing you remember about my book. Like, the the look of that casino, the, you know, the, the feel of, you know, that bar or whatever the thing is. And I think that, obviously, for 
for people who write set pieces, world building is very much about structural structure structures rather in the books. But but like I think about you know I'm thinking right now about Lauren Lane who writes you know really lovely contemporaries and you know set New York City right like, in banking. One of my right. very favorite series—I forget the whole series—but the one of them is called Huge Deal, and they're all investment bankers, the heroes, and they work in a firm together, and they're like three best friends who work in a firm together. And I can like feel that whole world, and I hate those dudes. I right. have lived You're here like, for a long time. Sure. I did not like them in my twenties. I don't like them now, but like I really like these guys, even though I can see the world. I know the world. It's like authentically, you know, it's very authentic space but these just happen to be like the three nice guys who are investment bankers i guess in the whole world no offense to people out there who are investment bankers but they probably take off every day at 4 32 plenty of time in the evenings <laughs> yeah exactly right i mean this is like every book that's set in a restaurant i'm like these people do not have time oh it's so funny because i was going to bring up food romance too because i always feel like food romance is a perfect example like the best world building for me is in food romance for a lot of in a lot of ways because it's fossils for you, but it's not oh, fossils yeah. for it's me, not fossils right? For you, but for me, so I'm like, like when they're like hearing the you know whatever the whatever in the oil and the like smell of the whatever and the way the plate is like the descriptions of the plates, like I feel like oh this is I'm there, I can smell it, I can taste it, I can like love it, and then you know, I mean, we have talked at length about my love for Rachel uh, Higginson's The Opposite of the opposite of You. Yes. Is that right? I think so. Um, I'm so sorry if that's not the name of the book, but you all know how I feel about this. But like, it's, I can see, I can, I feel like that is a perfect example of like, you know, all the characters in the kitchen, you know, you can see her food truck, you can eat his food, you can see how like food is throughout the whole thing. It just feels like a cohesive a completely cohesive space. Well, and I think it's also a really good example since we're so different this way. Um, the thing about really good world building is it has to be coherent to your book and your characters. Mm. And it has to like hit right for people who know that world, mm. but not overwhelm people who don't know or don't care. And I think one of the mistakes that people make is that they then try to, like, make everything real generic, right? Mm. Like, think about, like, the places, the books you, that are set in, like, generic place, generic city, right? And you're like, who is, who you is know this? What Where are book you? Who feels that way to, to me? And this is a good example of, like, this, this is a book that I actually do think has great world building for a different reason, but The Hating Game, I was yes. so distracted by where are where, we? Where are what we? What city are we in? Yes. Right. And it just and and I can see why people do that, because, of course, otherwise you get, you know, New York City where people are saying things that are just like clearly wrong. Right. You know, where you're like, you can't actually get from Soho to the Met in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Can't be done. Right. So uh, maybe it can be done. It cannot be done. I was there recently. That can't be happen. Right. It's, it would have to be very early in the morning. Right. Or in a chopper. 3 a.m. Right. <laughs> but I think like going back to the opposite of you, like. 
I don't have that experience with Absent of You. There are often books where people are like, oh, my God, the food stuff in that book was so great. And I'll be like, really? I just don't remember any of that. Well, that's just because I don't mm-hmm. – I don't, like, pay attention to it. But the thing is, like, that – it doesn't matter though. Like you're not writing for the person who doesn't know anything. You're writing no, for the person that who book does. Is for me, not for you. Right. Right. And for then, if I stumble across it, I'm just gonna like elide literally with my eyes the stuff that doesn't matter to me, and pay attention to the stuff that does. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is you know how they related to each other. But even then, there's still like a like very memorable things in that book to me. Even and the world. This is part of it. The world building is strong enough that you are, I mean, on the one hand, yes, there are things that you remember and that you thought were great, but also like the world building is strong enough that it it pervades the whole book. So as I say, like, here's an example. What I really remember about that book is he's like coming to her like food truck and like critiquing her food. And critiquing the food. Like she kicks him out. Yes. She says, I'm not selling you food anymore. You might actually remember what that food is. I do yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because then he makes, oh, because then he makes like a 12-course tasting menu that's inspired by her food truck, Jen. It's so romantic. Sure. Of course. <laughs> right? But like, and this is like a, I mean, it's an example that's a great one because it's so, like, it doesn't, the recipes themselves didn't matter no, to me. That matter. action did. Right? Yeah. And I think this is why, and I don't know where you are going to go, is eventually, of course, I want to talk about pop culture references because this is like a big... Yes, let's do it. Jen, I know you've been waiting. (laughs) This week's episode of Fade Maze is sponsored by Lumi Labs, creators of Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC that helps you feel just the right amount of good. So microdosing is commonly associated with psychedelics, wellness, performance enhancement, and creativity. And so if you are looking to sort of like try this, this product is so great. So, you know, you can have that creative boost. I often use it for kind of helping me get to sleep if I like wake up in the middle of the night or sometimes even like some light pain management if you're not a person who wants to like take Advil or Tylenol or whatever. Microdose gummies are available nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing, you can do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use the code FATEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off your order. Links can be found, as always, with all of our advertisers in show notes. But again, that's microdose.com and code FATEDMATES. Thanks, as always, to Lumi Labs for sponsoring this week's episode. Oh, this is my chance to talk about this thing that drives me bonkers. Mm-hmm. Which is, okay, I have an answer to this, but I feel like a lot of people go a different way, which is when you are building your world. I mean, we all understand and say all the time, like, historical romance is not historical fiction, right? Right. Like, there's ways in which you get to just, like, skip over they all had clean teeth and abs or whatever. Sure, sure. Okay. But in a contemporary romance that we're reading that is, like, in our time – I think there is a lot of pressure and I think a lot of authors have told me they have been told don't put in pop culture references because it will date your book right mm-hmm. so if yes. you mentioned you know what I mean like when you go back and read well, the we've books, seen it right we see it like right you read a book from 20 years ago and they've got a palm pilot and you're like come on right well imperfect right she's obsessed with Glenn Close and Michael Douglas and Kevin Costner comes to their wedding and so you're really 
immediately back in that time, right? So I think then what people do now is they're like, well, I'm just going to refer to these, I don't know, classics, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I don't really understand what people are doing, to be honest, where I am just going to reference pop culture that is like so universally known and loved by everyone that it won't feel like it's dating it. So, you know, your 25-year-old romance characters love rom-coms from the 80s. Right. And I – this is something that I find tremendously distracting. I know. This is your yeah. – It's is like your if there's a, a soapbox, here I am on it. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like when I, when I read those old books from the 80s and 90s, the pop culture references were contemporaneous. Right? Susan Elizabeth Phillips – and, and Imperfect are talking about Kevin Costner and Glenn Close because that's who is popular at that moment, mm-hmm. right? And now we are talking about Kevin Costner and Glenn Close because that's who is popular. Well, nobody's – I think nobody's probably putting Ke- Kevin Costner in their book, but <laughs> Quana Jackson, writing as K.M. Jackson, wrote uh, How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. Which felt very and inside it. I mean, Keanu Reeves is this. This book is like wild. Keanu Reeves is a speaking character in it. Like uh, Chris Evans is in it. And at the time, like there was a lot of like Keanu Reeves, Chris Evans. Like there's a lot of talk. It's the Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, Kevin Costner of our time. The issue I think that you're getting at, if I may, yes, I'm going to put words in your mouth. Is as authors, we are not the the research for a contemporary as an author in their 40s yes. includes researching what it is like to be the age of your character. So if you are not writing seasoned romance yes. right now and you are in your 40s, you have work to do. You know, I think about Sophie Jordan talking all the time about how when she was writing YA, she spent so much time asking her daughter questions about, like, dumb Yes. <laughs> Little right. things because – and she, like, had a teenage daughter, but she didn't – she didn't input it. It wasn't – we don't know it by osmosis because we happen to be living right now. So it's like if you don't want to reference pop culture at all because you're afraid it's going to date the book, I guess. But that also feels like the wrong choice to me because romance is in many ways ephemeral, right? Romance is of its time. If you're trying to capture now, like – and the problems of now and the things we're dealing with now, then go ahead and talk about now. And that's what books are doing right now. I mean, we just talked to a trailblazer who, you know, won't come out until season six. But, you know, we had this really interesting conversation about how, like, contemporaries of right now are about the world we are living in right now, right. warts and all, right? Like, yeah, there is an authenticity to experience in contemporaries right now. And so, like, make that authentic experience – include you know whatever they're streaming on spotify i mean i read one the other day where the character put a cd in like a in her car not in her car she put a cd in a cd player and like then the the i want to give this author a lot of credit because she seemed to understand like this is not normal and she was like i really like the character was like super into cds and i was like who's into cds this is a curious choice 
But, I mean, okay, this is a quirky character, right? But here's my problem. Again, oh, boy. this is like, See, I, I'm sorry. the two of us. I know. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, Jen, the cranky portion okay. of my show. She tried. <laughs> well, but I think here's my, here's my problem is what I then see people doing is justifying the quirky choice. My character only knows Nirvana. My character only knows about friends. My character only knows about CDs because of quirky XYZ thing. Rather than like Googling what was a popular movie the year my character was 15, right? Mm. Like, and I feel like th- there's a way in which that feels so like stubborn to me. I don't know that. See, okay, you this is where we differ because I don't actually think that it's stubborn. I think that it is that contemporary writers have been told for so long that world building is not theirs to worry about. Yeah, maybe. And so, like, they've nobody's ever said you have to do research. Yeah. And here, Yeah, well, I'm telling you. Here's the other thing. And here's the other reason I think it's kind of interesting, which is then the other thing people will say, again, like straight face to me is like, well, but, you know, my child, I am this age and my child knows about whatever thing because they watched it with me or they watched it with their grandmothers, right? I'm their mom. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but the other thing that people who say that kind of fail to realize for me is – When you are experiencing someone else's, like, pop culture, you are interacting with it in a different way, Mm. right? You can be aware of it and you can like it, right? But it is is not the same as it is when it is your pop culture, right? I mean, so, for example, Little Romance is home and so we listen to his phone or in their car. And it's fun for me because I'm, like, hearing all these things I haven't heard before. And, like, it cracks me up because one of the songs that he has on his playlist is Rooms on Fire by Stevie Nicks by, mm. you know, whatever that Fleetwood band is. Mac. Fleetwood Mac. And he likes that song. He knows what it is. But, like, I am under no illusion that he interacts with it or, like, the same Change. way. It is not life-changing. No. Him. And there's, like, lots of really – one of the ways I think about it a lot is there's all these, like, reaction videos, which I think are really funny, where people, like, kids are like, I'm going to listen to this song for the first time. Yeah. And one of the famous ones is these two young black men listening I lo- to it. I know what you're going to say, and I love it. In the air tonight. Yes. And they're just, like, kind of grooving out to it. And then, like, the like – the, And they're, like – they literally, like, fall out of their chairs. <laughs> and the thing is, is, like, that's a different experience with that song yeah. than it is when you saw it on Miami Vice for the first time. Yes, can we also pause? Have you seen – did I send you the video of Questlove playing it? No. He. Oh, my God. Jen. Okay. You guys, will put it in show notes. There's this incredible – Phil Collins was on The Tonight Show. Is it The Tonight Show? Yeah, The Tonight Show. And Questlove is the head – is the band leader for The Tonight Show. And so he was – Phil Collins was going to sing it and the Tonight Show band, which is The Roots. I right. mean, like, it's not like a fly-by-night band. It's the band, right. Uh, the Roots was going to play – the play and Phil Collins was going to sing <laughs> and Jimmy Jimmy uh, Fallon was like Questlove has been very nervous yeah for like weeks he's been practicing because like this is the only this is the biggest moment of his whole life and there he of course nails it because of course he does of course and you can see on his face he's like oh my god I did it I did yes, it right <laughs> 
Well, or like another really good example is, and I will see if I can find it because it's a this brilliant, really like, so there's a woman, a young black woman on TikTok who like was watching When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I love that one too. Yes, I've said this to you. And she was like, she was like, white people. Like, you know, when you do, this is your culture. And you know what, Sarah, when I watched When Harry Met Sally, when I was whatever age it was when I came out. Yeah. I was not able to understand that this was a portrait of white culture. <laughs> right? No. I this young woman appreciates and enjoyed the hell out of this movie, but not in the way that I did. And I think this is the reason the pop culture thing, what I say to people is they can know who Fleetwood Mac is. They can have seen when Harry met Sally. But if they are not talking about Beyonce, and Meghan Markle, and Lana Del Rey, if they are not interacting with streaming services, if they did not have a deep and abiding love for the Jonas Brothers, then you are, that is bankrupt to me in terms of like who that character really is. So it's better to do none of it than just show me the stuff that they know from grandma's house, because the stuff that they know from grandma's house is from grandma's house. And they... It cannot be that they never experienced any other, any of their own time, right? And that's how it feels. It just feels like these are characters out of time. Yeah, which is a world bullying. It's, it's a failure, right? I mean, because contemporary, it has to feel contemporary. Right. I mean, you say romance is in many ways ephemeral. And I think that is, I, I, I struggle with that, right? But I think you're right. I mean, like, obviously, I don't love that of as course. an idea. But I, I think you're right. But I also think, like, truly long-standing legacy romance in contemporary is so much more difficult than it is in historical and paranormal in romantic like in romantic suspense in a lot of ways like contemporary is such a portrait of us all right now um i want to name check kennedy we're we're this is a long episode we should have predicted that it would be a long episode but i want to name check kennedy ryan here because i think like kennedy's kingmaker series is doing like climate activism and indigenous women and like she talk about somebody who is facing like what we are doing right now head on in a very sort of overt way this is not not everyone can write what kennedy is writing not everybody has the um has the desire to write what kennedy is writing right but i will say this and i've said it i said it on npr the other you know we were interviewed on npr not long ago about kennedy and i said then i I am not sure I have ever met a a romance writer in general or a writer in general who does the level of research that Kennedy does to make her books happen. And that is research into characters. It's research into plot. It's research into like literally how does this pipeline work? If I'm going to put it on page, I'm going to know about it. And like I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who does world building like she does um, because of that sort of commitment to research. I also want to talk about Kate. So tell me when we can talk about writing. Okay. In one second, because I have one more thought. I want to wrap up the pop culture thing. One thought, which is I was thinking I could actually tie back to food. You wouldn't write a contemporary romance now where people eat SpaghettiOs, drink Cosmopolitans, and enjoy, I don't, you know, I don't know, like Jello molds, right? Like those are dated foods. Yeah. People don't really eat them anymore. 
And so I think that there's a way in which I'm like, you would immediately, like, as an author, be like, okay, maybe she eats spaghettios at her grandma's house, I guess. But, like, I'm not going to only have this, right? They're going to drink different drinks than they did on Sex in the City. <laughs> because Sex in the City is 25 well, years ago. We're not born when Sex in the City right? was on. Yeah. I yeah. ordered a Cosmopolitan one day. I was like, you, I said to the bartender, I'm like, I'm going to really kick it old school. Like, I want a Cosmo. And he laughed. He was like, oh, my God, I haven't made one of these in forever. And I was like, I know. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Right? But, like, I was aware. They should be and drinking so a Negroni. He, right? Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, why are you so willing? You would never do that. Right? With food or clothes. No one's wearing bell bottoms. I mean, I guess they're back, but whatever. See what I mean? I will say, too, I will say not long ago, I read a contemporary by a writer who has been writing for a long, long time. I mean, 40 years long. And I think that is also a challenge, right? Like, I think it is really tough. And I know people like Susan and Jane spend a lot of time, like, saying, hey, I'm writing about Jane just wrote a book about a podcaster, right? Yeah. And she spent, she asked us a bunch of questions and she was like, can I talk to you? Because like she wants her books to feel contemporary, current, right? The This particular book, the heroine was wearing black velvet palazzo pants and knee-high stockings and you're like, on no. a date. No. And she was like 26. No. And I was like, oh, ma'am. They were, I mean, can, uh, like, look, everybody says, oh, historicals are so hard. Like, how do you do all the research? Bullshit. Yeah, right. Contemporaries are hard. Like, Contemporaries are hard. Figuring yeah. out how to write a book that's going to be here in 30 years is hard. And fi- figuring out how to write a book that's going to be here in 10 minutes is hard. Yeah, no kidding. Right. Um, so hats off to all of you. Also, if you'd like to read a contemporary where Nirvana is on page and it's all totally fine, you should read Jess K. Hardy's Come As You Are which is about people in their 40s. Well, exactly, right? There are the people who have all the Gen X references, right? And he's, like, kind of Eddie Vedder. I mean, like... I love it. Listen up with that. Any day. (laughs) Right? But, I mean, mean, my students wear Nirvana t-shirts that they buy at Urban Outfitters. Yeah. And they have no idea. Oh, Old Navy. Yeah, They don't know who Kurt Cobain is, right? They didn't cry in their mom, in their parents' Like driveway the day the Rolling Stone came and <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I want to talk about writing, like the actual work of it, yeah, the, the sentences, and I want to talk about how world building is in the writing ultimately, because when we sort of we sort of touched on this with Reacher, right? Like, yeah, that the writing is economical because Reacher is economical, and I think. I don't know. I think there are a couple of authors who I would point to as like, these are authors who think so much about the sentence structure Mm -hmm. that the books read like they feel like the world is in them. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Kate Claiborne, who you all know we love here at the podcast and we talk about all the time. But Kate thinks about theme in her books so much more than I think. Probably Certainly anybody. more than I do, more than more than anybody I think I know. And I think she starts the book with a keen awareness of the story she wants to tell and the theme that she wants to address in the story. And the characters feed it and the plot feeds it and the settings feel, feed it and the sentences mm-hmm. are structured. Yes. To 
accommodate it and to lean into that theme. And I think about when you read a character of Kate's that who opens up over the course of a book. Yes. The writing at the beginning of the of that book is so tight in the character's POV. It's so restrictive, restricted. Yeah. And then as that character comes to trust, you know, their the their love interest or to trust the world around them, things start to open up. And there's no better example of this than her upcoming book, which you can't buy right now, but <laughs> um but I think that any one of Kate's books will show you this. I think Georgie all along does this really well. I think Levi is particularly. Yeah, I think Kate's you know, a I good think, example. Yeah. I think Levi is a great example of how the writing actually informs Levi, the world of that book. If you if you don't know what it means, sometimes another way to see it is look to an author who writes in both historical and contemporary. Mm. So like Beverly Jenkins, I think. Yeah. yeah talk about a person who, okay, the the her contemporary characters are the descendants of her historical characters, right? And then if you read a Beverly Jenkins contemporary, it doesn't read the way that her historicals do. No, and and that's I, a really good example of how right. Yeah, and how so to I think it. if you because sometimes it is hard. You're like I don't know what you're talking about, but like when you read Adriana's like like on the hustle is like one of the like voiciest books mm-hmm. I've read, right? And yet when you read A Caribbean Heiress in Paris or An Island Princess, uh, it is Island Princess is so lush and like oh god. So yeah, you're you falling are, into history yeah. in that book. So if you're kind of like I don't really know what you mean, I think that is like a really the best way to sort of like make yourself see it is take st- study one author, like you know, do an author study yeah. where you're like I'm going to read, you know, Forbidden and then I'm going to read this book about rare danger, about the library or whatever. It's going to be a different experience. And that's because they understand that all of that carries through in the writing itself. Yeah. India Holton does that too. Um, she doesn't, I don't think she writes in contemporary, but in she wrote uh, the Wisteria, the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, which I've talked about before, which is like partially historical and partially fantasy. And it's super weird and like, and there's so much about it that sort of rips – it sort of tears at the seams of what you expect the book to be when you open it up. And the writing feels that way too, just like effervescent and curious, yeah. which is like the book itself. Um, listen, that is not to say that everybody has to write the way Kate and India and Bev write. Like, But it is a way for you to see how world building is really – Yeah. It's – it's in, it's in every – it's the DNA of yes. the book. Yes, absolutely. And it is – I will say this for the writers out there. It is important that we wrap our heads around it. It is important that we think about it as craft because fundamentally, if what Jen is saying is true and romance is ephemeral, not all romance is ephemeral, right? Which is why Fate of Mates exists. Like we, we have read over the course of our five years so many books that – should that have not disappeared that are now beloved right and i think um as as a writer and i i think i've said this before like when i think about my books i am always thinking about them as legacy like i will leave this book behind and what is the story that it will tell when i am gone in the hope that it is not ephemeral 
And when you think about it that way, it's world building is it's the DNA of it. Well, here's what else I'll say, though. Maybe a, another way to say it, though, is that ro- I think romance is is uniquely responsive to yes. the world we live in. No, and I wasn't right? complaining about Oh, no, about no, no, no. I know. Like, I think it's right? true. Ultimately, like, there's yeah. a reason why the books are, right. you know. But, like, yeah. I have said – and maybe I've said it on the podcast. I've said it in my brain a lot, which is, like, if you want to study the way that, like, language has changed around gender – Mm. listen read romance because mm-hmm. our ability to sort of be like hey this language is changing and we're going to adopt it because we care about these characters and even if we don't have trans characters in your books right like the way that we're more careful to or at least you know some of us to avoid heteronormative language or to right like be more inclusive or to just like put these things on page and then you go back one year or five years or ten years like and the that's just because you can see us trying to, like, follow the the path of, like, where the culture is taking us. And I just think that that's its strength in some ways. And that's just, like, built into the system. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, world building is about paying attention. Can a book be great without great world building? Yes, probably. I mean, I don't – let me say it differently. If I see that an author has decided to make some choices – I think there cannot be – it cannot be a great book if there is a differential between what they are attempting and then what they think they're doing or, like, I, between, like, effort maybe and – right? So, I mean, a phone booth romance where it's just them in a cabin, sure, because you've decided to, like, leave that all on the road. Yeah. I mean – Right? Yeah. But I think what where world building goes wrong is where people kind of like they're like, okay, well, I, I'm just I've decided not to pay attention to it. Well, then I think that's gonna bite you. Yeah, a long one, Jen. Uh, if you are interested in talking more about stuff like this, you can join us on Discord, where there's a whole channel of people talking about stuff like this every day, uh, all day long. Uh, you can find more information about our Discord by becoming a member of our Patreon, which uh, is launched now and available to you at fatamates.net slash Patreon. Uh, you can also find us online at fatamates.net. That's where you'll find all of Jen's fabulous uh, show notes. And you can find us on Instagram at fatamatespod and on Twitter at fatamates. Thanks, as always, for listening to us yammer at you every Wednesday. Um, we hope you're reading something great. Tell us about world building that you think is particularly terrific um, at one of those places I just mentioned. And... We'll see you next week.